Welcome to It Came From The Deep, a narrative podcast series based on the novel by best-selling author Maria Lewis. Chapter 4. Kaya came to, coughing and wheezing. Her throat burned from all the trauma she had put it through. The water passing into her windpipe felt like acid as she retched up what must have been the entirety of Lake Plutz. Panting, she leaned over onto her elbows and took deep breaths in and out, savouring every precious taste of air. Finally, she opened her eyes and found water just inches from the tip of her nose. She jerked upright then and took in her surrounds. She was sitting in the shallows and had been propped up against the knee-high concrete wall that separated the path from the water of the lake. In some places, the edge dropped right off into deep water, but she had been placed in one of the shallower parts. As she peered over the ledge, she could see green grass and a children's playground, followed by a dimly lit path leading to one of the main streets. Her head was pounding, and she squinted her eyes shut as she reverted back to her half-reclining position. How had she got to the surface? More importantly, how had she made it from the middle of the lake all the way back to shore? She tried to recall what had happened. The attack, trying to swim to safety, and then being pulled underwater by something. No, someone. Her eyes flew open as she remembered the calculated movement of a single hand snapping her attacker's wrist. Kaya tried to slow her breathing as she looked around, searching for any sign of the mystery person. There was no one. The surface of the lake was black, smooth and still, like an expansive pool of oil. Everything was quiet in the lakes. There was no hint of what had happened earlier. A movement to Kaya's left caught her eye. She sat up as she tried to get a better look at what had drawn her attention. She winced as she became aware of various hurts, but she never took her eyes off the spot where she thought she had seen something. A sudden splash erupted from the surface of the lake, and that was all Kaya needed to spring out of the water and leap the edge in a single bound. Her shoes were gone, and she sprinted towards the main street in bare feet, her soles slapping on the asphalt. She kept running straight out onto the road and waved frantically at the first car she saw. It screeched to a halt mere inches away from her. Good gracious, came the voice of the female driver. Are you all right? The woman had come to a stop in the middle of the road and other cars began to pile up behind her. Kaya sank down to her knees with the relief of knowing she was safe. Please, she croaked. I need to call the police. And then he just disappeared. Yes. Just gone. I told you, I couldn't see exactly because I was further away, but yes. There was a splash and then it looked like something pulled him under the water. Something. Yes. And you didn't see a fin or anything like that. Officer, it wasn't a shark. How can you be so sure? Kaya sighed. It's a freshwater lake. There was a long pause before he replied. Bull sharks can survive in fresh water. And how do you get them into a lake? That question obviously stumped the young constable, 
giving the quizzical expression on his face. Well, got to cross off all the possibilities, he said in an official tone. I helped fish that old chap out of Burley Lake a few years ago when the bull sharks had at him. Ugly business. Kaya didn't reply. Instead, she tried to look exhausted so the officer would leave her alone. She was wearing a white hospital gown and sitting on the edge of one of the beds in the emergency ward at Gold Coast Hospital. Having already been interviewed by three different police officers, which meant telling the same story over and over again, she was getting pretty frustrated. The woman who had picked her up ignored her repeated requests that they stay at the scene until the police arrived. She took Kaya straight to the hospital and had her daughter in the back seat call the police to tell them where they would be. As soon as the cops arrived, the questioning began. Recounting the event was simple enough in theory, but it was the excruciating detail they wanted Kaya to go into that was proving tough. She was still in shock. Not at being attacked, mind you, but by what followed. What had she seen under the water? What had attacked her attackers? Were they killed? Eaten? And that hand? A human hand? Those were the questions spiralling through her mind as she did her best to answer their queries. The curtain to her bed was suddenly ripped back as the commanding officer returned. He looked from Kaya to the constable and back again with an air of agitation. Rosenberg, what are you doing? Sir? I said, what are you doing? Uh, questioning the victim, sir? No, Rosenberg, you are not. This girl has already been questioned three times by the reporting officer, myself, and once by Constable Jones over there. Do you think we really need a fourth line of questioning? More importantly, do you think that perhaps, maybe, she would like to rest? I didn't think about that, sir. No, you clearly didn't. Now get the heck out of here and help Jones file her report. Yes, sir. Dismissed and belittled, the constable left with his tail between his legs. Kaya couldn't say she was sorry to see him go. A few curious stares from the nursing staff at the counter was all it took for the man, who had introduced himself as Senior Sergeant Warren Ferris, to give them an annoyed look before pulling the curtain shut again. Most of them recognise you from the papers, he said, giving Kaya an apologetic shrug. Oh, she murmured. That was not a good thing. Her eyes skimmed the dark features of this cop, who was clearly the one in charge. There was a small enamel pin that depicted the Aboriginal flag and was clipped to the pocket of his blue uniform. It glinted under the harsh fluorescent lights as he moved closer towards her. Your father is on his way, brother too. They should be here any minute. We also have a female officer coming who's going to take some photos of your injuries. She nodded. Is there anything else I can get you while you wait? Thank you, no, I'm... Where is she? Kaya registered the panic in her dad's voice instantly as he entered the emergency ward. Within seconds, the curtain to her bed was whipped back again as his tanned, usually happy face stared at her with concern. Kai, he said, his voice cracking as he gave her appearance a once over. Dad, it's okay. She didn't get a chance to finish as her dad came in for a bone crushing hug. Despite the still, tender nature of her body, Kaya closed her eyes and ignored the pain as she leaned into his shoulder. She loved being hugged by her father. 
He was a frequent giver of the one-armed half-hug, but a full-on two-arm assault was rare. His thin, shoulder-length blonde hair was almost the same shade of whitish blonde as Storm's and hers. It tickled her cheek as she inhaled his familiar scent. Salt. Casey always smelled of salt from the ocean, which both comforted Kaya and slightly stung her nostrils. Keeping one hand on her shoulder in a comforting gesture, he turned to Sergeant Ferris. What happened? Well, Mr Craig, call me Casey, he said, reaching out a hand for the officer to shake. Sure, okay, Casey, he said slowly, as if trying the letters out on his tongue. While Kaya was going for a jog around Lake Plutz, two men attacked her from behind and physically assaulted her. We're not sure what their intentions were. Her father's grip tightened on her shoulder as he realised what Sergeant Ferris meant. But, thanks to some quick thinking from your daughter, she dived into the lake in a bid to swim to safety on the other side. What happened after that? We're not sure. Casey turned to Kaya expectantly, obviously hoping she would fill in the blanks. She couldn't do more than shrug and tell him what she had told the police. There was a big splash and I saw one of them get pulled under the water. The other one tried to pull me under too and then that's it. That's all I remember. Next thing I was on the shore at the opposite side of the lake and I ran for help. Sergeant Ferris nodded with understanding. It's common in traumatic incidents like this for the victim to block out parts of what happened as a coping mechanism, especially after such a violent attack. We see it all the time in even the most simple post-traumatic stress disorder cases. Anger and sympathy filled her dad's eyes as she watched him cast a glance in her direction. Did you find these punks? He said, turning back to the cop. Not yet. We've found evidence of where the assault occurred. There's blood we think must be Kaya's and a discarded balaclava, which we may be able to get DNA from. We've been unable to find the attackers, but it's clear there were two of them going off your daughter's injuries and what we found at the scene. We have officers searching the area and speaking to residents who might have seen or heard anything. What about the lake? We're waiting on police divers coming up from an incident in Byron Bay. They should be here tomorrow morning to do a sweep of the lake. Kaya gulped. She didn't know what was down there or what had attacked the men, but the thought of people diving back into Lake Palutz, looking for it, was a terrifying concept. It's a freshwater lake, right? So it couldn't have been a shark. That's what your daughter said. Lake Plutz isn't linked up to any of the canals, so nothing could have got through the catchment, Casey mused. You didn't see any fins, Kaya? Dad, I honestly didn't see anything except for a splash and the guy going under the water. There would be eels in there, but where the bloody hell is she? The emergency ward was dealing with a lot of crazed Craigs that night. Her brother's entrance was just as dramatic as her father's, and Casey ducked away for a second to calm the impending storm. There were a few muttered words, spoken low enough that Kaya couldn't hear them properly, before Storm joined Sergeant Ferris at her bedside. Sis, he said, plunging in for a hug as soon as he saw her. Storm didn't even take a second look at her, just dove right on in there. Kaya welcomed his hug. 
He had just come from playing at Astro Surf again and reeked of bourbon and cigarette smoke. Ow! Kaya choked out as he gripped her tightly. Ah, sorry. It's okay. I'm still a little bit sore. He leapt back and held his hands out in a gesture that looked as if he was ready to protect her from anything, whether that be a gust of wind or a grizzly bear. Technically, that would be very sore, came a heavily accented female voice from behind the curtain. The doctor who had been treating Kaya earlier emerged from the other side with a stern look that contradicted her external appearance. With stylishly cropped black hair, Dr. Anderson was a plump woman with a figure of almost spherical proportions. She was also Russian, or at least Kaya thought so given the strong accent that required her to concentrate extra hard when the doctor was talking. You've had quite the night, Ms. Craig. Family? She asked, looking at the men assembled at the bedside. Kaya nodded by way of response. I'm sorry to say, gentlemen, but Ms. Craig will be staying the evening. What? Kaya protested. I feel fine, seriously. That may be the case, but you're not, as you put it, fine. You have a concussion from several knocks to the head, bruising on your face, and severe bruising around your throat where you were strangled. You have five stitches in your lip and numerous other cuts and bruises. Your windpipe is damaged, which should be of concern to the police officer here who has been continually making you talk for the past hour and a half despite my demand that you rest. Yes, well, we needed to interview her as soon as possible while the information is still... Not my concern, officer. My concern here is the patient who has been through a great deal tonight and needs to stay for observation. We both know who has jurisdiction here, so let's avoid the embarrassment and have you bid farewell for tonight, no? Kaya watched with interest as the two struggled silently for power. She could almost see Sergeant Ferris chewing the inside of his cheek in frustration as he said goodbye and promised to return in the morning to see how Kaya was feeling. We have private health. We can get you moved to a better hospital if you want. Dad, I'm fine. This hospital is fine. I'm only going to be here for one night. Kaya sighed as they wheeled her to a room. She would have liked to protest the use of a wheelchair as well, but the adrenaline was wearing off and she was beginning to feel the effects of that concussion. All right, they've got you in a private room, said a breathless Storm, who had just returned from talking with the ward nurses. Oh, for Pete's sake, Kaya muttered. Her father wanted to help her into bed, but given his lack of height and Storm's abundance of it, her brother was the better candidate to negotiate the feat. They both settled in chairs next to her as if they intended to camp there. You're not staying. Yes, I bloody am, said Casey. Darn straight, replied Storm. Kaya glanced between the two identical, stubborn expressions and the determined sets of their jaws. There was no arguing. Fine. This will be very boring for you both. I'll be going to sleep soon and... No sleep, remember? Blast it. Her dad was right. Dr Anderson had forbidden her from going to sleep until she could come in and check on her at 1am to see how she was coping with the concussion. So you two are setting out to keep me awake until then? Yep, said Storm, stretching his enormously long arms above his head. Why don't you go and get some beers or something then? Make it interesting. 
Storm and KC looked at each other with thoughtful expressions, both very keen on the idea, but neither wanting to be the one to admit they intended to sneak booze into a hospital. I'm up, said her father, rising from his chair. There's a bottle shop across the road on the corner of Scarborough Street, Storm added. Casey nodded. You want anything, kid? Chocolate? Chocolate sounded good, namely chocolate chip cookies sprang to mind. Then she thought of her red, sore throat and winced in anticipation of the pain. Yogurt? Kaya offered. It will be easiest when I can eat again. You got it. As she watched her dad leave, she felt something warm press into her palm. It was a hand, Storm's hand. She linked her fingers through his and returned his smile. You okay? He whispered. She nodded. For real? Kaya thought about that question longer. No, she was pretty shaken up, although not for the reasons people thought. The attack had been terrifying, but it was what had happened in the lake that was still raising goosebumps along her arm. Storm noticed and placed his other hand on her forearm. Don't worry, you know Dad and I won't let anyone hurt you again, he said. She heard the truth in his voice, in his words, and Kaya gave him a grateful look. It was a lovely sentiment. However, if she had learnt anything in the last year, it was that no matter how much your loved ones tried, no one could stop life from hurting you, physically or otherwise. She had been dealing with emotional injuries for what felt like forever. Kaya almost welcomed seeing physical ones that she could combat. Do you have any idea who it was? He asked her. No, she replied. There were two men... That's all I know. They were wearing balaclavas. Kaya was lying. More importantly, she was lying to her brother, which was something she never did. She was fairly certain she knew exactly who the two attackers were. They had been stocky, athletic men with South African accents. It also wasn't a crime of opportunity. Those men acted like they had a personal vendetta against her. Kaya couldn't think of any two people with a better reason to want her dead or seriously beaten up, than Bree Tyler's older brothers. Both fit the physique of the men who had attacked her, and both had most likely returned to the country the same day as Chris. Kaya had avoided telling the police these details for two reasons. First, because she hoped she was wrong. Second, she didn't know if they were alive or not. If they weren't, well, she thought that family had been through enough without having to know what last act the two Tyler sons committed. The second reason was linked to the first. If they were still alive, she didn't want them connected to what had happened. If it came to it, she wouldn't press charges. So much pain had been inflicted on the Tylers directly and indirectly because of her. Kai didn't want any more. Frankly, she was aching for the whole saga to be over. If they were linked to this, then who knew when it would end? Would there be a trial? That meant more time in a courthouse and more TV cameras and more fingers being pointed. So Kaya would keep quiet and pray the Tyler brothers had emerged shaken but otherwise fine from Lake Palutz. She would hope they decided against pursuing her further. Maybe it was even one of them who dragged her to shore. It was a dark fairy tale, but it was all she had. As Kaya fought to keep her eyes open, one image kept replaying in her mind. A strong grey hand as it wrapped around the man's wrist. 
her thoughts were interrupted by a gentle knock on the door before Storm called for whoever it was to come in. Cabby's anxious face appeared from the other side, her mouth dropping open as soon as she saw Kaya sitting there in the bed. Holy shit, hun. I came as soon as I heard, she said, closing the door behind her and rushing forward. Cabby. Kaya breathed, surprised at how much relief she felt at seeing her friend. They'd always been acquaintances, buddies at most. There was something to be said for those who came through when you needed them. Cabby hadn't shunned her after the Bree Tyler thing, and here she was now, late at night and rolling up to the hospital in a pair of ripped denim jeans and a baggy bikini kill T-shirt. Kaya felt a wave of appreciation wash over her as Cabby pulled up the spare chair next to the bedside and acknowledged Storm with a slap on the shoulder. Wait, he said. How did you hear? The police said they didn't release any info about who the victim was yet. They also said it wouldn't stay quiet for long, Kaya countered. Uh, Cabby said, running a hand through her short hair. I kind of used to have a thing with one of the nurses here. She knows we're friends and sent me a message when they brought you in. Nice, Storm said, nodding with appreciation. Cabby gave him a bashful grin. I'd appreciate if neither of you mentioned it. She's not supposed to share info about patients, obviously. She could lose her job. Storm made a motion that indicated he was zipping up his lips and throwing away the key, while Kaya muttered, of course. There was a loaded silence as Cabby settled in, her eyes moving over Kaya's face and the hospital gown she was wearing. As if sensing some invisible signifier, Storm got to his feet. I'm going to go try and grab a cup of coffee or something, he said. Anybody want? No, thanks, Cabby said, while Kaya shook her head as she watched him leave. Not the subtlest of creatures, is he? Her friend noted. You're immune to his charms, Kaya smiled. Straight women? Storm is their kryptonite. Can't imagine. Anyway, how are you? Genuinely, are you okay? For what felt like the 1,000th time that evening, Kaya recounted her story. She left out the part about who she suspected her attackers were, just like she had with the police. But for some reason, when it got to the section in her tale where she saw that eerie grey hand reaching out, she kept going. She wasn't sure why. Maybe it was too many secrets bottled up on top of each other. But Cabby became the first person Kaya actually told about what she thought she saw. There was a prolonged pause once she finished talking her friend seemingly taking a moment to process all the information. Did... Did you tell the cops this? Cabby asked. Are you kidding? No way, they'd think I'm crazy. Good. What about your dad and your bro? No. Kai scoffed. I'm not even sure I saw what I saw. Apparently your brain does all kinds of things when you experience trauma and can create... Kaya. I... Yeah? Do you remember that time last season when the surf was dead flat and instead of doing board training in the surf, they dropped us off at the start of Talabudgera Creek, told us to paddle back? Of course. We were going against the tide the whole way and it took us an hour to make it to the creek mouth. Right. It was dusk, there were 20 of us, all exhausted, and there was this flock of seagulls floating on the water about 50 metres away when there was that huge splash and a fucking shark sprang out and ate one of the birds. Oh my God, Kaya said, half laughing. I totally remember. 
Jesse was at the front of the group and screamed so loud he fell off his board. Cabby was properly chuckling now as she recounted the story. We all freaked out. I swear we never paddled so fast in our lives as we did back to shore that Arvo. Kai remembered the afternoon clearly. They'd all seen sharks before. Dolphins too. It was an inevitable considering the amount of time they spent in the ocean. It wasn't a huge deal. They were in their playground after all. And for the most part, people got out of the water quickly enough and there were no major incidences. Plus, everyone knew that the highly publicised protection methods of the shark nets and drumline did jack all except catch unfortunate sea turtles. Being in the water as often as clubbies were, you were going to see a shark eventually. It wasn't anything to go postal about. But seeing a shark leap out of the water and eat a seagull just metres away from you, while you were still in the creek, it made sense everyone in the group had freaked out. When they'd got a passerby to call their coach to come and pick them up, even they had been blown away by the account. That story got mileage for months, Kai recalled. Jesse tried to say he stayed so calm the whole time and that it was my scream everyone heard. I mean, please. I know. She smiled. We had been paddling through that shark's territory for almost an hour. None of us any wiser about the fact it was there. Hell, it could have been following us, just waiting for the right moment to take an inquisitive nibble on the smallest person. What's your point? None of us really know what's beneath us, Kaya. They're discovering new sea creatures and species all the time. Yeah, but Cabby, this looked human. If it even existed at all, which is a big if. I know, she shrugged. All I'm saying is don't discount yourself as crazy so quickly. Maybe you did see what you saw. Maybe it was your trauma. Or maybe something saved you. Whatever it was, and you finally caught the break you deserve. Cab. Kaya cut herself short as the door to her room opened again, revealing Storm and her father, who was rather sheepishly carrying a plastic bag. We interrupting anything? Casey asked. We come bearing snacks. No, no, come on in, Mr Craig, Cabby said shooting Kaya a look that distinctly said later. Ah, mate, no one has called me Mr Craig since I got divorced. Call me KC. Sure, Cabby said, smiling as she shook his hand. Mr KC. He laughed, assembling seats with Storm around Kaya's bedside until it felt like she was holding court. You're Cabby, right? Or Cammy? Cabby, she said. That was you, wasn't it? Last year at Aussies, swam one of the best open surf races I've ever seen. That was her. Kaya grinned, knowing that Cabby would be bashful about it. That was incredible. You were 20 metres ahead by the time you reached the first boy. Yeah, I got jagged on the way in, though. Managed only third place overall. Third? Casey nodded. That's nothing to sniff at. Where are you from originally? Dad? Storm and Kaya hissed in unison. What? I didn't mean... It's not because you're... It's okay, Cabby said with patience. I get it. You don't see that many black women doing surf sports. A lot of Hawaiians and Brazilians, Casey pressed, as Kaya cringed and buried her head in her hands. I swear that was half our world circuit back in the 80s. Dad, Storm said, looking horrified. Can you stop talking now? Cabby was born here on the Gold Coast. Oh, cool. 
I thought you might have come over from one of the international clubs, but you've got that Aussie accent. Nah, she replied. Born at Pindara Hospital, raised here. My parents moved up from Melbourne, Ghana before that. Cool, cool. Do you drink, Cabby, or do you stay dry like Kaya? That we definitely do not agree on, she grinned. And wet as fish. Excellent, he beamed, bending over to get beers for Storm, Cabby and himself. Kaya mouthed the words, I'm so sorry, at her friend. Cabby made the smallest shrug gesture with her shoulders, giving Kaya the impression this was not the first time she'd been asked that question. Storm waved and pointed at the Southern Cross tattoo exposed on Casey's shoulder as he bent down. Cabby had to do her best to stifle a giggle as Kaya's father handed her a VB. The past 24 hours had been horrible for Kaya. Hell, it felt like the last half of the year had been. Yet, crossing paths with Chris and what she'd overheard at the surf club as people gossiped about her all seemed to pale into insignificance compared to what she had lived through that night. She was battered, she was bruised, and as Storm handed her a napkin to dab at her lip, she realised she was bleeding. And still, there she was, sitting there surrounded by her small family that loved her unconditionally and a friend who had come through in a way she hadn't entirely expected. For the first time in what felt like forever, Kaya let herself entertain the smallest morsel of hope that things could be better. It was an optimism that barely lasted the night, as when she left hospital the next day, the press were waiting for her. Someone had tipped off the media. A dozen or so journalists with cameras and microphones were shoving them into Kaya's face as she was rolled out the doors. Dr Anderson had insisted she stay off her feet until she made it to the car. Kaya internally cursed the woman as she thought about how this would look on the 6pm news. Poor Kaya Craig. How things have flipped. Once the perpetrator and now the victim. To make matters worse, her throat had come up a disgusting shade of black and blue that she knew was going to catch the camera's eye. The left side of her face was red, swollen and covered in cuts from where she had been dragged along the concrete. It wasn't a good look. Kaya, Kaya, do you know who attacked you? Is it true you were stabbed? Kaya, how did you fight off the attackers? Who were the perpetrators? Have the police been able to corroborate your story? Do you have any message for other women who have survived violent assaults? Kaya, how do you feel about being a hero? Do you think they will strike again? KC, how does it feel to have something like this happen to your daughter? How will this affect your upcoming season, Kaya? The questions came in a relentless barrage. Thankfully, Sergeant Ferris had been standing nearby when they went to exit and he had some officers clear a path to Storm's car. Even when they were safely inside, flashes continued to erupt from the cameras as they snapped pictures of Kaya and her family. Fucking hell, muttered Storm, who spun around in the driver's seat to reverse. Take it easy now, said their father, who had purposefully sat in the back seat with Kaya. If you accidentally run one of the pricks over, we'll never hear the bloody end of it. Be worth it, though. Storm. Yeah, yeah, I'm taking it slow and easy. Storm turned up the radio, playing one of his favourite bands, Liars, to try and drown out the noise of reporters thumping at the side of the car and continuing to shout questions. Who did I save? Kaya asked quietly. What's that, sweetie? Her dad responded. 
One of them asked how it feels to be a hero. Who did I save then? Kai's brother and father fell silent as they realised why the question had bugged her. You saved yourself, kid, said Casey, slipping a hand around her shoulder. You saved yourself. She thought back to the question Sergeant Ferris had asked that morning. Can you think of anyone who would want to hurt you? Kai had exchanged a look with Storm and Casey before she answered. You must not have been following the news over the last six months. He looked stumped for a moment, then realisation washed over his face. You think this might have something to do with the girl who drowned? The South African kid. What was her name? Bree Tyler? Kaya supplied. You think it could have something to do with that? She raised the palms of her hands up in the air to indicate that she didn't know. I was under the impression that was an accident. I'm glad you think so, said Storm. But there are plenty of others out there who don't. You should have seen the kind of mail we got. Sergeant Ferris tilted his head. I'm more surprised people still use mail. Someone even spray-painted a death threat on our fence, her brother continued. I'd start with anyone who might still have a grudge against Kaya. A bunch of them flew in over the weekend. She was surprised her brother had known this. Even most of the clubbies thought the rest of the South African team didn't arrive until Wednesday. But Storm had known there were already a handful back in the country. He cast her a quick, guilty look, and she wondered if he had seen Chris at the gig. He had obviously wanted to keep it from her in case she was upset. Maybe she wasn't doing as good a job of holding it together as she thought. Her dad hadn't missed the look that passed between them, and without skipping a beat, he suggested their first suspect. You should look into Chris Ritter. Dad? Storm seemed mildly amused. What? He's someone that has ties to both you and the South African girl. Dad, come on. We both know that's not why you offered up his name. Who's Chris Ritter? Interjected Sergeant Ferris, notepad out. No one, Kaya hissed. His name is Christopher Ritter? Her brother started. He's Kai's ex-boyfriend. He's a beach competitor at her club, Middle Beach. They should have his contact details and know where he's staying. Storm. He gave her an unapologetic shrug. I'm with Dad on this one. He a big guy? Sergeant Ferris asked, not looking up from his note-taking. Strong. Storm and KC shared a glance before her brother answered. Sure, I guess. Every club is fit and in good shape. It comes with the territory. Why? Kaya frowned. The markings around your throat are thumb and fingernail impressions made from an angle directly above you, he said. Kaya self-consciously felt her fingers creep towards the black and purple bruising that she now wore like a choker. It's hard to manually strangle a person. You have to exert maximum force. So we're looking for someone or someones with considerable upper arm strength. And so the first person the police would be going to about the incident was her ex, which should no doubt make things even more uncomfortable next time they bumped into each other. At least Kaya was going to be a little more difficult to run into for a while. In fact, she was on strict orders to rest up and not leave the house for the next two weeks. She was even banned from going in the surf until her stitches could come out, which she was hoping would be the end of the week. Kaya knew that last restriction was going to kill her.
This chapter of It Came From The Deep was read by Sophie Parr and produced by Adam Boys at Thaumaturgy Post-Production Services. It Came From The Deep is the third novel from Maria Lewis and available physically from all good bookstores and library as well as online. It's also part of her Aurealis award-winning Supernatural Sister series which includes Who's Afraid, Who's Afraid 2, Who's Still Afraid, The Witch Who Caught a Death, The Wailing Woman, The Rose Daughter and more. This is the narrative podcast series with new chapters releasing every week and bonus episodes dropping in between with author Maria Lewis and myself, Blake Howard, breaking down the plot, inspirations and writing process. It Came From The Deep is part of One Heat Minute Productions.